Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is your host, Mike Abadir. we got a great show for you today. We will be joined by Gino Bicola shortly. And uh, we got a good show lined up for you guys. Our first guest is going to be Ryan Roberts of the NFL Draft Bible. He's going to come in and talk both pro and college football. He's going to shed some light on the college football season thus far. And his emphasis is always going to be on the NFL draft. So we'll talk to him quite a bit about the rankings for each and every important position as we head towards the college football playoff and the NFL draft. Can't believe it's that time of year again. We're already uh, approaching mid-November. So there's a a sense in me that's like, wow, I kind of missed a big part of the college football season. It's kind of snuck up on me. It's probably snuck up on a lot of fans, especially if you're a fan of the Pac-12, because they just got things going. So, I want to also talk about the award shows in baseball, the awards in baseball, I should say, not just the shows, because I just watched the show where they just announced Freddie Freeman as the NL MVP. Great selection. He had a great season. One of the things that's impressive about Freddie Freeman, aside from the Braves' success and that he's surrounded by a lot of talent with Ronald Acuna and that lineup, Ozzy Albies, et cetera, is that he had COVID. And there weren't that many players, really, in all the sports that had a difficult time with COVID. A lot of people tested positive but were asymptomatic. Not Freddie Freeman. He was one of those guys that experienced chills and fever and almost hallucinations and he had a really tough time with it. It took him a while to get untracked as the season started. Didn't get off to a hot start. And so in a shortened season, for him to go on the run that he went on, ultra, ultra impressive. So congrats to Freddie Freeman on that award. The runner-up, by the way, was Mookie Betts, who was well-deserving. He actually led the league in war, had a tremendous season, but fell a little bit short, which kind of brings up another subject matter, which is the role of analytics in baseball, in evaluations, in how we judge these players. It seemed like the trend has been for using analytics in figuring out who had the best season, in figuring out how to set your lineup, in figuring out where you put your shifts defensively and what moves to make within a ball game. Could that be a trend that's plateaued? This is our first MVP that didn't win based on analytics. We just saw a new hire of Tony LaRussa, who's really an old hire, brought back in demanded the Chicago White Sox who have a nice combination of vets and youth, but they're mostly youth. 
interesting choice, aside from the fact that they didn't disclose a DUI that Tony Larusa was served up with back in uh, earlier part of the year, I believe in February. They hired him anyways, and then, of course, journalists are going to research and dig into what Tony LaRusso has been up to, and they unveil a DUI. How do you guys feel about that? Is that a big enough deal anymore that we really care? Or is it a big deal? The moral character of the leader of your organization when it comes to a DUI, how can he talk to his players about the staying on the path, the straight and narrow path, focusing, having a clean off-season, etc.? So we'll talk a little bit more about that. Back to the awards. One of Tony LaRusso's uh, players got the American League MVP in Jose Abreu. Congrats to him. Well-deserving of that award. And the reason I brought up Tony LaRusso was about the analytics. And he's not an analytics guy. Now, he'll bring it into play for sure. But I believe that Jerry Reinsdorf has given him full reins to, and, and will says he will not meddle into the affairs of the Chicago White Sox. We'll see if that comes into play or if he meets his promise to let Tony LaRusso do his thing. Cy Young Awards. Probably the most interesting thing to me, and I'm looking forward to talking to Gino about this, is Trevor Bauer. Now, he's the first Cincinnati Reds player to win the Cy Young Award. The runner-up was Hugh Darvish of the Chicago Cubs. And the third place was Jacob deGrom of the New York Mets, who is looking to be the first in a long time to get back-to-back-to-back. Actually, a very long time because it would have been the first in history. So I was a little bit surprised to hear that the Reds, who have been around for a long time, have never had a Cy Young Award winner. Now, he only went 5-4 and four this year in his 11 starts, but he led the NL in ERA with a 1.73. He helped the Reds reach the playoffs for the first time since 2013. But you got to wonder, how much of it is his personality? We saw his personality full force this year, especially on social media, a lot more than we saw anything from you, Darvish. And I wonder if we hold something against you, Darvish, for finally panning out to be the guy we thought he was coming from Japan. If he would have delivered these kind of results right away and had continued success, he'd be celebrated as one of the best pitchers in the game. But I'm pretty sure for a lot of you, unless you're a Cubs fan or play fantasy baseball, you might not have even realized that you Darvish had a Cy Young caliber season. Uh, rounding out the top five were uh, Lamont from the Padres and uh, Max Freed from the Braves, who also had a great season. And as you can tell, outside of DeGrom with the Mets, who is just ultra consistent and brings it year in and year out, every one of those else in the top five led their team to the playoffs. So something to be said about that. Another playoff team, Cleveland Indians, their ace unanimously won the American League Cy Young. And I always, I always want to call him Justin Bieber. 
but it's Shane Bieber. <laughs> Shane Bieber unanimously won the AL Cy Young Award. So congrats to him. He went eight and one with a one six three ERA, 122 strikeouts, and only 77 innings. So he was, I mean, as dominant as you could be in a uh, pandemic-shortened 2020 season. Led the majors in ERA and strikeouts, tying Hugh Darvish for the most wins. He was absolutely a beast. Another surprise runner-up, and another runner-up from the continent of Asia. In the American League, though, Kenta Maeda of the Twins, former Dodger player. The third runner-up, third place in the vote-getting, is another from the continent of Asia. Hyunjin Ryu with the Blue Jays. Ryu is another former Dodger. Very interesting to me. The biggest free agent signing of the offseason heading into this year was Garrett Cole. He finishes fourth. And he round out the top five with Dallas Keuchel. So, once again, same as in the National League, four out of the top five players in the Cy Young voting led their teams to the playoffs. That's a trend. It's not by accident. But what's ultra impressive that Shane Beaver got all Thirty of the first place votes, and I know that Gino is going to be uh, joining us shortly. And when he does, I kind of want to ask him, who are now the faces of baseball? Because I'm going to make a case that Bauer has been able to build this profile over the last two or three years to propel himself really to the top. Trevor Bauer is probably going to be the most talked about off-season free agent this year. Now, he's a guy who's full of personality. Some will say he comes with some antics. That he's a guy that, when he's a team player, somebody somebody you want as your ace on your ball club. But if he doesn't want to be there anymore... He could be sour grapes. He's the type of guy, guy that could get the ball and throw it into the stands if he's unhappy. You know, would you like that on your team? Well, I sure would because I, I think he brings it each and every ball game. And he's kind of been tucked away on some ball clubs that are a little bit under the radar. Um, But I don't suspect that he's anything like some of the other players who want to go to the Yankees to be in New York, to be in the big stage, and to get the big dollar amounts. I think that he's going to go to a team where he is probably a good fit, but can also be a playoff contender year in, year out. So we'll see how that all plays out. I apologize, by the way, for my congestion. So if you hear some heavier breathing than normal, that's kind of what's going on here. I'll try to kind of keep that to a minimum. College football. Started off talking about that a little bit. We'll talk a lot more with Ryan Roberts about college football and how he sees things playing out. Now, quite frankly, this is not a very good weekend for college football. You know, we're heading into week 11 
four of the top five teams aren't going to be playing. Uh, some of that has to do with scheduling, and some of that has to do with cancellations and COVID. There are no matchups between top 25 teams. Nine of the 13 ranked teams that are going to be playing are favored by a touchdown or more. So we're expecting a lot of blowouts. Half of the SEC is in contact tracing protocols. There's just, it's just not a great weekend of football in week 11. And once again, the Pac-12 is trying to get back on track. Uh, SC is kind of the, the trendy pick, as it typically is. Uh, USC comes with a lot of fanfare there in Los Angeles for a long time. They were the pro team, so to speak, in L.A. Uh, they've got a ball game against Arizona, so that should be uh, compelling for all of you West Coast and Los Angeles listeners. We also get to see Oregon and Washington State's uh, Washington State Fair. Off uh, the Ducks looked pretty good last weekend, but Stanford probably is not the Stanford of old. They're quite diminished. That was a really ugly game. I don't know if you guys saw this or not. It was actually featured on Van Pelt's uh, weekly series where you're going to look at some of the bad beats. Bad beats is the segment. I believe the Stanford and Oregon kickers combined for five field goal misses. <laughs> the field goal kickers in college football are not the friend of the over-under play. So keep that in mind. God knows most of us have been burnt by that. If you play over-unders in college football, now, overtime is friends of the over, uh, of the overplay, over time. It's kind of a tongue twister. Overtime is the friend of the overplay, and the best game of last weekend went to went into double overtime, and that was, of course, the top ranked Clemson Tigers going against the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. That was in Notre Dame. It was the first time ever that Clemson had played on Notre Dame's home turf. Turned out to be a whale of a game. Unfortunately, we did not get to see Clemson's stud quarterback playing, but what amazes me about Clemson is they just keep rolling out players that fill in more than admirably. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce the quarterback's name from Clemson, uh, but let's just say it's, it's worthy of learning it because Trevor Lawrence's backup looked pretty good to me against what's considered to be you know a very good Notre Dame team who ended up on top, 47-40, to 40, knocking off Clemson. So I'm looking forward to talking to Ryan Roberts about whether Notre Dame is real and kind of what's the path forward for college football this year as it relates to the college football playoff. Committee's going to have a tough time picking the teams. I mean, you have cancellations, you have you know, obviously COVID has wreaked havoc on college football and for good reason, because these, you know, these are huge populations in college football in terms of students. So it's not just a student athlete, but on the campuses. Now, a lot of the campuses maybe aren't having uh, in class sessions. I understand that. 
But what about the fans in the stadiums? A lot of these teams, especially in the South, are allowing fans in attendance. So these are considered potential super spreader events. And I think because college students, generally speaking, 18, 19, 20-year-olds are a little bit more carefree, they're a little bit more, you know, invincible, at least in their minds. And they've also heard about how, you know, COVID does not really attack the youth. And I think that's a big reason why you're seeing outbreaks amongst these college football teams. Well, how do you take that all into consideration if you're the college football playoff committee? How do you judge who are the four teams that should be there at the end? Do you downgrade Notre Dame's win because Clemson wasn't at full strength? If you want to get the top four teams and you want to get it right, maybe exclude them. I don't know. I mean, I think everybody can agree that Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State have to be there. On the outside looking in are going to be teams like Wisconsin, maybe even Miami if they make a, uh, a run here. They kind of eked by NC State. It was an exciting game, but didn't necessarily make a big statement for their case. But I think any of those teams probably ranked 5th through 15th have an opportunity to uh, stamp their seal on this. How about unbeaten BYU? 8-0, ranked ninth. You know, they'll be making a lot of noise as we approach the committee getting together and unveiling things. More about this and everything else, college football, after a quick commercial timeout, and we'll be joined by Ryan Roberts of the NFL Draft Bible. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you? It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at the Show.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to the Mike Abadir Show. This is Mike Abadir, and we are now joined by our first guest. As promised, we're going to be talking some college football and NFL with the draft expert, college football expert himself, Ryan Roberts from the NFL Draft Bible, also host of the NFL Prospects Pod. Recommend that everybody check those out if you're a fan of the pro and or college game. Ryan, good evening. How are you, buddy? I'm good, Mike. How are you? I'm doing really well. So on my opening monologue which was a little bit more lengthy than usual. Didn't have that same kind of back and forthness as I do with Gino, quick paced. I'm kind of more of that slower analytical guy. Gino will be with us shortly. I made mention that the this is a weird weekend for college football for week 11 here. Four of the top five teams aren't going to be playing. There are no matchups between top 25 teams. You know, uh, a lot of these games look like they have blowout written all over them. I think it was nine out of the 13 ranked teams that are playing are favored by a touchdown or more. Uh, as I mentioned, half the SEC is in contact tracing protocols. What does this all mean for college football, specifically as, as it relates to the college football playoff? Because I'm kind of thinking it's going to be a tough, tough time being able to kind of compute everything, process everything, and unveil a Final Four that's satisfactory to a majority. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's going to be really odd, I mean, to be honest. Like, we're looking at, you know, the Big Ten getting started late, the Pac-12 getting started late. Like you said, this this weekend specifically, you know, all these postponed games, Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, Maryland, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Georgia, Missouri, there's so many games that are being put on the back burner. And I, I think another interesting part of, you know, games getting canceled and postponed is there's only so many bye weeks that are worked into a team's schedule to start with, right? So we're looking at, at that part of everything. Are, are some of these teams with the games that are getting postponed, are they going to be able to make them up? The Pac-12 and the Big Ten getting started later. If they have a you know reduced season comparative, obviously, to other, other um, conferences, how is all that going to work out? And, and, I mean, the short answer to it is I'm not really sure. You know, I, I don't think there's any – perfect answer to how everything's going to shake out. I think, I think even more than ever, the committee is going to have to do the eye test more than anything, right? Because like you talked about the analytics and how things are going to stack up and how you can compare schedules, it's almost impossible this year. So even if, uh, you know, obviously Ohio State is one of the top four teams, right? So like, even though they'll have less of a schedule, like they might pass the eye test comparative to a team that might be nine and one compared to however many games they end up with. So I really think that the human element's gonna come into it this year a lot more than maybe it usually does with, with the you know, speaking again at the analytics side. Um, but I don't think there's any 
perfect formula to figure it out. It's just going to be, you know, the committee, a bunch of humans <laughs> talking it out and, and trying to figure out what the best option is for the, the final four. Well, and usually every single year you've got some devastating injuries on both sides of the ball for, you know, marquee teams that just comes with the territory when you're playing pro tackle football or college (laughs) tackle football, uh, high level college tackle football, SEC level tackle college football. But it's a little bit quirky when you have your star quarterback that can't play because he tested positive, let's just say. So how, how do you assess the Notre Dame victory in double overtime over Clemson, even though their backup quarterback filled in pretty well, but there's only one Trevor Lawrence out there. Do you, if you're the committee, do you look at Notre Dame and say, Hey, they beat Clemson or is it, they beat Clemson, not at full strength. Right. And and I think that if Clemson was a program that maybe was just Buoyed completely by the fact that they had a star quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, who's going to go first overall in the draft. Like if they were a a good program that was elevated to greatness because they just had the absolute best quarterback in college football, I think that that would really tarnish the victory that Notre Dame just had, forty-seven to forty. But I think what we're looking at when that situation is, Clemson has you know future NFLers at every spot, basically, you know, it, it's a, it's a deep team. The left tackle is going to get drafted. Wide receivers are going to get drafted. The running back is the best running back we've probably seen in college football in a couple of years now, you know, 73 touchdowns going into that game against Notre Dame ACC record. Defensively, they have guys everywhere, two corners that are going to be high draft picks when they come out. They have defensive linemen that are going to be high draft picks. I think that it's such a good football team that, yes, they're showing some chinks in the armor when you lose somebody like Trevor Lawrence. Obviously, that, like, that's a give me, right? But we saw DJ Uwiangalele go in there, and, hey, was quarterback an issue against Notre Dame for Clemson? I don't think so. So if you're talking about, like, like I'm, I'm of the belief that if Trevor Lawrence is in that game, is it better? Maybe. But we're, we're not predicting outcome, right? Like maybe Trevor Lawrence goes in there and he throws an interception. Maybe he plays statistically at a lower rate than DJ Uyunglele, even though, you know, obviously at this present moment, he's a better player than DJ is being a true freshman. But I, I think that we're just really doing hypotheticals when you don't know the absolute outcome. And I, I think Notre Dame, you know, has, they hadn't won a, uh, a game against a number one ranked team since 1993. So I definitely don't want to, um, you know, um, undersell how that how important that victory was to that program because it has been a team that has been, you know, just mired in mediocrity. And obviously they've been winning ten games, you know, over the last couple years consistently. But you know, since you know from the Bobby Bob Davy era to Tyrone Willingham to Charlie Weiss. It wasn't great football. Now, Brian Kelly looks like it's trending in the right direction, but they have been that team that has been you know, mocked over the last few years because they can't win the big one. Talking about those two games against Clemson, that Georgia game last year, like they are close, it seems, but they just have not been able to get over the top. So for me, I don't think that the committee is going to look at that game and say that's not a very high-quality victory. I, I think that that is – a very high quality, and the good thing is in that situation, if you're questioning how important or how, um, how 
great of a victory that was for Notre Dame, it sounds like and it looks like that we'll probably get an opportunity as long as both teams handle business here that we might see a rematch in the ACC championship game. And if Notre Dame goes into that game and they get completely outplayed by Clemson, Clemson beats them by 20, 25 points, whatever it might be, then I think that's when you cause, you know, you pose the question how legitimate that first victory is. But for now, I think that it's a very substantial victory for Notre Dame. And even if they go into that ACC championship game, if Trevor Lawrence is playing and they lose a close one, I think you can still look at that victory and say that was a very high-quality win for Notre Dame. Let's let's go with the hypothetical. Let's just say that they go into double or triple overtime. It's a very tight game, back and forth, slugfest. And, you know, we agree that the other two teams are Alabama and Ohio State. Does the committee say, you know, we're we're going to bring both teams back for a potential third rematch between Clemson and Notre Dame and have them be two of the four finalists? And if the answer is no to that, who on the outside could be looking in that has the best shot, in your opinion? You know, I, I briefly mentioned, you know, Wisconsin is a team that I thought is, is pretty darn good. But what about teams that are kind of in the uh, outside periphery of the top five, like, uh, Miami or unbeaten BYU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it gets really. Um, I think there's a lot of hypotheticals if that happens because, like, my, like when you first posed the question, I've heard people talk about it this week. Like, so if Alabama's undefeated, Ohio State is undefeated, and Notre Dame, and that happens, that 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 scenario that you posed, I think that yes, you carry both those teams back into the playoffs, and then. If a match, if a you know round three heavyweight fight happens again, like I think you go with it. And I think that it would be great for ratings specifically. Like, obviously, people are going to watch football either way. But if you had a you know obviously a double overtime victory in Notre Dame, and then they do something similar, and maybe it just goes the opposite end, then hey, people want to see that third matchup because that's that's really exciting. Because you have two teams that are obviously very well matched up, and I think the the wrench that could be thrown into this conversation. Cause I don't think even though Cincinnati and BYU are playing great football, I just think like, again, that human element of it, they're going to look at those end schedules. and They're going to be like, you know, that's awesome that they went undefeated, but you know, just look at the quality of victories and it's, it's not going to, I think, stand up. I, I think what the scenario that's really interesting though, is if Alabama drops a game at some point, like let's say they, they, you know, um, end up with a one loss, maybe losing the SEC championship game, and then we have, you know, a one loss Florida team or a one loss Texas A&M team. I, I think that that at the SEC part of everything could be the tough conversation because, like, if if Alabama goes to the SEC championship game and whoever they lose to, whoever that that, that victor is on the other side of SEC, like, are you going to keep Alabama out of the dance if they have one loss and a Notre Dame one loss, and then also? Hey, you're going to keep the SEC championship game champion out of the conversation in that, in that scenario. So I think that's where it really gets dicey, kind of how the SEC finishes up. But I mean, the short answer, like I, I think Alabama is going to go undefeated. I think Ohio State's going to go undefeated. And if, Al- and if Notre Dame, Clemson meet again, and Clemson does get the better end of them in a close game, I think that we would see this Final Four because I, I think that people would really be excited to potentially see that third matchup again. Yeah, and I, th- I think that you make some several really good points. 
one of the ones that I was thinking about is, okay, so you have like, let's just say a cancellation, Alabama, LSU, LSU obviously isn't the team that it was last year with uh, their top draft pick quarterback under center. But let's just say, hypothetically speaking, and that's all that we could do right now is they have some cancellations like that, where maybe the best team on somebody's schedule, they can't make it up. They cancel the game or postpone the game. Like you said about uh, having enough bye weeks to be able to, you know, make up all these matchups. Then it becomes really dicey because I don't think that you Mm -hmm. can necessarily go off of margin of victory this year. Remember before you, you kind of want to see Alabama beat the teams 49 to seven that you're supposed to be 49 to seven. I think COVID has kind of stolen the depth from so many teams that, you just want to get out of there healthy and without injury and just to get the W I think is going to be the attitude to some of these coaches because they're concerned about potential depth issues. At any one point you could lose five to 15 players with a snap of a finger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it's, I mean, I just feel like, I mean, like you said, we're, we're dealing with a bunch of scenarios that, and, it, and it's, it's, it's kind of, I mean, I don't want to say it's fun because we're dealing with, you know, obviously a, a pandemic and a, and a terrible situation for a lot of programs, but it is interesting just to consider everything that might happen because, like, again, I mean, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about not professional athletes here, right? We're talking about these amateur athletes who aren't being played, so, like, aren't getting paid. Like, and at the end of the day, yes, these programs all want to win, but, I mean, at what cost is it when we're talking about these athletes, again, amateur, um, playing football? Like, the health obviously has to be paramount and most important, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to really shake out very odd because, again, like, we can't – there's some things that you're not going to be able to quantify enough because, like, again, like, the, the different amount of games that teams are playing and, and – cancellations like we're going to run into a situation and I thought we were going to see it in the NFL you know with the Tennessee Titans and everything like we're going to run into in the situation in college football now where these like Notre Dame is already down like they had their first um one of their first postponed game was Wake Forest and they had it penciled in to now December 16th I think but they have a bye week next week so if Notre Dame gets past this bye week and, and let's say, and they, they um, have another postponed game, there's no spot left to, to move these games. So I really think that we're just trying, just guessing as, as far as, you know, moving forward here. And it makes it just, again, so much more difficult because we're dealing with kids. We're dealing with, you know, well, well I guess technically adults, but we're dealing with, you know, 23 and under um, athletes that are amateur athletes, and we have to consider them to the highest degree in, in some of these situations. And I, I just think that it's, there's no perfect answer for anything that's going on. But I, I think, you know, if anything, it's, it's going to captivate fans because they're going to, you know, use these hypotheticals and they're going to constantly be thinking about oh, what happens here, what happens there. And it's a great conversation. But I think the answer to, to everything, unfortunately, for now is, you just don't know. <laughs> it's a waiting game, and you just have to see how everything kind of falls and how everything aligns right now. Yeah, and before we talk about the uh, you know the specific amateurs and uh, maybe where they shape up in terms of individual rankings within their positions or whatnot, I did find it interesting in that the attitudes of the players, 
it seemed like between the West Coast and perhaps the Midwest uh, varied pretty dramatically, almost as similar as the political landscape of this country. I mean, Pac-12, you had players saying something completely different than, let's just say, the folks in Oklahoma or Justin Fields at Ohio State. And you got to wonder, could that eventually pose a little problem? Because I'm seeing all around me here that certain states are kind of clamping down on the restrictions again, like New York, et cetera. You know, could we get into a situation where a team just doesn't want to play <laughs> and another team does, yeah. you know, I mean, there's so many possibilities. Obviously that's the nightmare possibility and I don't want to focus on the negatives, but I think that these officials have to take all of this into account and be ready and prepared for anything. Even if that means maybe altering their postseason format a little bit, as we saw in the NBA, MLB, and even the NFL is adding playoff teams, et cetera. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and I think, you know, with the with how it's usually structured with bowl games, like how many bowl games are we going to get? There's, I just feel like there's going to be less opportunities. But I, I couldn't agree with more with you, right? Because, like, obviously some conferences were just hell-bent hell at first, right? Like, we're not canceling. Like, we're, we're going to figure it out, the SEC, Big 12. And then the Big 10, you know, was shut down, and they were, you know, seemed very like, yeah, we want to play, we want to play. And then the Pac-12 was kind of, like, they definitely wanted to play, but there was adverse, like, they were, you know, looking out for their own self-interest to a high degree, which is completely understandable with, again, an uncertain climate in a pandemic. Like, that should be their, their first and foremost obligation to, to make sure that they're, they're healthy, their family's healthy. And then the Pac-12 comes back, and we already have some games getting canceled in a, in a shortened season. So I, I feel like, I, I don't feel like everyone's on the same page at all. Um, I feel like some conferences got got kind of forced to th- for, through the actions of some players, you know, to, to make action and, and come back, um, you know, specifically about the Big Ten. Like, I felt like the Big Ten Conference just did not want to come back, but there was just such a heavy pushback against the players and coaches and, you know, everything that happened that, that it, was, it was just um, very, you know, they kind of had to make a decision there and, and the Pac-12 uncertainty, I, I, it's, it's very difficult to say, to say the least, man. Like I, oh, I yeah. think we could speak more to the, to the West coast part of everything, but it's, it's very, it's, it's going to make everything very difficult. Cause even from, from the fact of a lot of kids, you know, a lot of players have, and this is specific to like smaller levels, right? Like they've, they've made decisions. Hey, am I opting out? If I'm a draft prospect, am I transferring and then sitting out the fall? Am I going to just wait it out and then play in the spring for people that got canceled? I mean, we saw a lot of opt outs in, you know, the higher levels too, like Michael Parsons from Penn state and, and Rashad Bateman from Minnesota, who eventually obviously opted back in, but we still have seen some guys, that have made that decision and have kind of stuck to it. And it's just, I feel like it's case by case. Everyone is, you know, I feel like everyone is learning on the fly and there's not much unity. Like you said, like, I feel like everyone's just kind of doing their own thing and, and trying to figure out the best they can. But I, I again, I, it just seems like there's no perfect answer that can help everyone because it's, it's, you know, at the end of the day, trying to look out for the best for them, for themselves and their families. Yeah, and the interesting thing about that, and we got to get to a commercial break in a second here, but the interesting thing about that is looking out for yourself and your family really means something different for a lot of different people. Like, typically speaking, Mm -hmm. 
you know, there are like one or two options that uh, suggest that you're doing the best thing for your family. But for for one individual, looking out for myself might be to not play because of COVID. For another guy similarly situated, it might be, hey, I need to play in order to get seen by the NFL because that's my only shot because I'm not a top, you know, 20 prospect. You know, I'm a mid-tier guy and I need to get some snaps in or I'm now finally, I've finally become the starter. I've been named the starter. And look at Joe Burrow, you know, somebody that was relatively unheard of before the year ends up being the first pick. I am this year's Joe Burrow, right? So, I mean, there's so many different meanings for what is best for me. And like you said, you you know, it's it's one of those things where I think everybody's kind of running their own course because if you're a top 20 guy, maybe the looking out for me might just be sitting this one out. Hey, I'm already a top 20, mm-hmm. top 10, top five prospect. Why even risk it, right? So, hey, Ryan, can you stay with us for one more uh, segment? Yeah, absolutely. We're talking to Ryan Roberts of the NFL Draft Bible. Check him out before we end the show. He will give us his social media handles and let you know how he can be heard and seen and his work can be visited because he's legit. Probably one of the top college football prognosticators in the land. Stay with us. We'll have more with Ryan right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety find out what's happening on the voice america talk radio network by keeping up with us on twitter you can find us at voice america trn streaming live the leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. I want to help you guys connect the dots a little bit for the listeners that are just kind of popping in here and there definitely appreciate your listenership. We hope you are enjoying this week's show and every week's show. For those who listen to us regularly, you know we've had a lot of guys that are related to the NFL Draft Bible family that are a part of the family, uh, integral parts of the team. Of course, you guys all know Rick Saratella, who's been with us many, many times. He's the creator of the NFL Draft Bible. But we've also had former NFL scout Dave Oh, my God. Why am I 
all of a sudden just uh, space, <laughs> spacing out here. I was about to say Dave Roberts of the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, Dave Turner and uh, Ryan Roberts and Marvin Jones and, you know, a lot of really, really good quality people, excellent scouts, analyst, writer, uh, expert, uh, outstanding writers. They do it all when it comes to college football and the NFL. Today, we're obviously joined by Ryan Roberts. So in continuing the conversation, Ryan, I kind of wanted to shift gears a little bit to players and rankings. And it's going to be a tough job for NFL scouts, but we both know that they'll find a way to get the film that they need to be able to project out who is going to be a legitimate NFL prospect. And for those of you who don't know, typically when NFL scouts are looking at this, they're really looking to categorize them as who has the look of a perennial all-pro. You put them in one bucket. Who looks like a starter? You put them in another bucket. Who looks like your solid backup? You put them in another bucket. And then there's kind of everybody else. Ryan, going into this season, who would you say fit into didn't fit into the first bucket that now does fit into that first bucket of a potential all pro type player, or at least a, an impact starter. Yeah. Um, so I, I think a couple guys that immediately pop out to me, like I was, I was a fan of Justin Fields from Ohio state before the season. Absolutely. Like I thought he was going to warrant a top 10 pick. There were just, some things, and this is mostly due to the Ohio State offense, it's a very simplistic offense that, I mean, they're running mesh and crossers all day long, one read and run type of system. There's, there's not a lot of development from a quarterback going through a standard amount of progressions in, in their reads. There's just, there's, there's just that, that transition from the college game to the NFL game as if that isn't hard enough just by the game getting so much faster it's also getting more complicated, and it's especially getting complicated to a system like Ohio State that doesn't ask a quarterback to do a ton. And I will say, you know, looking at Justin Fields these first couple games, I, I don't you know, like it. Doesn't take a scout's eye to know that this kid has the size. This kid is incredibly athletic. This kid has a strong arm. Those things are very easy to see. What is transcending him and ascending him into what I think is you know, in that conversation of top two pick in this draft and, and a lot closer to Trevor Lawrence than maybe he was before the season started is the fact of they are giving him more responsibility at the line of scrimmage. They are giving him more responsibility to go through two to three reads. They're giving him that freedom in the offense, which is a big step because they don't t- usually give quarterbacks at Ohio State that type of freedom. So I'm looking at Tre- Justin Fields now at Ohio State, and I'm just like, all right, I see it now. This kid can be special, potentially. He absolutely can. Before the season, I was optimistic but hesitant on a guy like Justin Fields, but he has answered the bell, and he is, I mean, he is a riser. And it might not even be a huge riser because you're talking about top ten to maybe top two, right? But when you look at him, you're just so much more sold on the player that he is that it just, you, you just, it just kind of quantifies um, how good he is and, and the progressions he's made. Um, another guy, if I had to throw it out, is Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida. Again, another guy I, I had a first-round grade in the preseason on, so it wasn't like I was low on Kyle Pitts. But, you know, there's 
so you, you, in, everyone's guilty of this. We throw guys into position buckets, too. We're just like, this guy's a tight end. This guy's an X receiver. This guy's – but you don't look outside of that realm sometimes and say, but you don't have to limit this guy to one role or one specific thing. You look at a Kyle Pitts, and I'm like – I can put this guy in line at times. It's never going to be the strong suit because he just doesn't have that power element to his game to be an inline blocker all the time. But, hey, I can put him at eight, uh, as a detached player, as an, as an H-back. I can put him in the slot. I can put him at X sometimes. Versatility, but versatility to do everything well. It's not just you know the ability to do everything well but not be great at anything. Kyle Pitts can affect the game in so many different ways that – you know, it's it's honestly in, incredible to see the versatility that he has. And then if I wanted to just throw another quick one out there, it's Jalen Waddle from Alabama. Now, he got hurt, so we'll see where ultimately his draft status ends up being because he's going to – I think he's going to be right on the cusp of being able to perform at the combine with his injury. So we'll see if um, – if he's able to test beforehand, if we have a combine, whatever it is, it ends up being a pro day. Like we want to see him back and healthy on the field because before he was got hurt for Alabama, he was arguably the best wide receiver in college football, and he was another guy that I think I had like a late first just going on into the season because again, you can see the athleticism, you can see that speed, you can see the returnability, but he has not been the guy at Alabama before this season. We, we, he played with guys like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and Devonta Smith is still there. But Jalen Waddell was head and shoulders the best player on Alabama's offense before he got hurt, and he was the most dynamic wide receiver probably in all of college football. So if, if, he's, if his health checks out and there's no long-term effects on that ankle and everything looks good to go for you know, the foreseeable future – I don't see why Jalen Waddle can't be a top ten pick, and that's that's. I mean, that's a lot now, especially because wide receiver is one of those positions where we've seen the last couple classes been so talented that guys might slide a little bit because the depth is at such a high level. And twenty twenty one is is that same story. It's such a great class, but this dynamic ability, this four three athlete that can affect the game in so many different ways. There's no reason that he can't end up being in there. So if you ask me guys that I went from feeling good about to potentially in the top 10 possibilities, I think Pitts, Waddle, and you know, just solidifying Justin Fields are probably a couple of the guys that come immediately to mind. Have you had a chance to scout Will Mallory, the tight end from the University of Miami? My buddy Eddie has kind of put me on to this kid. He's like, hey, you got to check him out. Now, he was a four-star recruit put on a lot of weight. I think uh, 2017, he was listed at about 210 pounds. Uh, he's now listed 6'5", 245, has the look of an NFL tight end big time. Have you had a chance to check him out? And if so, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so, so you know, at Miami, they also have Brevin Jordan, who's one of the top tight ends potentially in the 2021 class. So Will Mallory Correct. is a, a classmate, um, junior as well, and, and he's a guy that's, you know, kind of gotten overshadowed a bit, but Jordan's mm-hmm. been out for a couple games now, so you've been able to see 85 play a whole lot more. He's a guy that when I watched in the summer, you know, just briefly, I was like, you know, there's flashes. Like, there's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. But the more you watch, and, you know, I'm not ready to make this claim that I would draft him over uh, Brevin Jordan if they were in the class, but for a team that is willing, it, it would rather have – a well-rounded tight end who can do more things in line 
I think that some people might value Will Mallory over a Brevin Jordan just because I think that he can do more things. He has that size to him. He has that ability to play in line more. He can block a little bit. And he's got really nice athleticism. He's not a, like a, just a big guy out there. He can, he can move a little bit. So I think that Will Mallory is a guy that potentially that next tier of tight ends, looking at like Hunter Long from Boston College and, the, and those types of players, I think that if he chooses to throw his hat in the ring, that he'll be pretty highly coveted. Uh, the question will be, you know, he needs to show that that athleticism I see on the field is verified and that, yeah, if, he, if he's a, you know, low 4'7", high 4'6 athlete with the type of body and the type of style that he plays, I could see him fitting in somewhere on day two of the NFL draft if he chooses to declare. I think, though, the more likely outcome is Jordan's out after this year. You are the unquestioned guy for a full season. He probably returns for the 2021 college season. And if he does, I think that he has an opportunity in a, you know, in another, what looks like a, a pretty solid tight end crew in 2022, that he might be one of the front runners to maybe be in the best tight end in the class rather than being, you know, arguably within the four or five this year. Fantastic points there. And uh, God knows that there, there's a ton of Miami tight ends in the, uh, the, you know, in the last, you know, 20 years in NFL, I was trying to make a list of them off the top of my head. And I got as far as uh, Greg Olson, uh, just while we're talking here, is just kind of writing him down. Jeremy Shockey, Jimmy Graham, Kellen Winslow, Bubba Franks. And that's kind of as far as I got, but I'm sure I'm, I'm missing a bunch of them. I mean, we only have about two minutes left, maybe a little bit less. Quick question for you. There's a lot of talk about Trevor Lawrence and whether he would want to be a New York Jet or not, okay? And it's a fair question. It seems like the New York Jets are just a team that swallows up NFL prospects, especially the quarterback position, and really ruins their careers, right? Did Do you think mm-hmm. maybe Burrow going to Cincinnati, because Cincinnati had a similar reputation, do you think that his success there immediately might change mindsets of players when it comes to the media overhyping, hey, you don't want to go to this team or to that team? Yeah, I think it can change the perception. I, I think the, the big talking point with the Jets conversation, because a lot of people are already talking about, like, hey, would you just go back to school type of thing? I think, you know, with Trevor Lawrence, I, I think that if he doesn't want to play for the New York Jets and he decides to come out, I think that there are ways to make that happen. You know, we, we've seen it, you know, obviously historically with John Elway and Eli Manning, but I think that either way he can make that decision on his own. I will say, I do not think the Jets are as bad a situation as some people do. Now, if, if Adam Gase is retained for whatever reason, then it will completely <laughs> change my outlook. That on, is the wild that card, job. is Gase. Of course. That, that is 100% the wild card. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's, I mean, no I, doubt about it. I lo- hey, right. I hate to uh, cut you off, but we're up against the close of the show here. Really quickly, can you sure. rattle off your Twitter handle for the listeners? Yep, absolutely. Yep. Uh, rise, rise, the letter N draft on Twitter, rise and draft, follow everything NFL draft Bible and also NFL prospect pod, as well as locked on Irish uh, for all your content sources for me. You killed it as always. Thank you, my friend. Thank you to all the listeners out there. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone.
Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.